postmodern and post-Christian are both terms that the, the church seriously needs to retire. We're going to the world to tell them who we are, and we're not going to the world to present who God is. A world in which so much is focused on building walls and keeping people out. An alternative way to live is to live by... It's almost like raising a white flag and saying, Ah! It's all the secular people's fault and no one's listening or coming to our evangelistic campaign. How can we redesign Adventism to be effective at reaching emerging Western culture? That's what the Story Church podcast is all about. Adventism Redesigned. Hey everyone, it's Pastor Marcus here and I want to welcome you back to the Story Church Podcast. Today's episode is actually a pretty exciting one because I'm going to be sharing a sermon audio of a recent message that I preached with two of my local churches uh, that are more established. They've, They've been there for quite some time. And uh, I took the opportunity a couple of Sabbaths ago to preach a sermon on COVID-19 and prophecy. And, and what I did in that message was I looked at how the Bible paints the picture, you know, sort of the prophetic landscape, the apocalyptic um, milieu that we are potentially uh, trending toward in, in, in our present day. And asked the question, is a program-centric model going to be effective at building the kingdom of God in this milieu that we are potentially trending toward a milieu where program centric things are not really very effective by and large now i don't want to say too much because i dig into it obviously a whole lot more in the sermon so i don't want to re you know redo this sermon here Uh, so i invite you to just take the next uh, i think maybe about 40 45 minutes to to listen to this And in the end, if uh, you found it really insightful and really challenging and you want to share it with your local church, head over to thestorychurchproject.com slash blog and look up this latest post, uh, Why Your Church Must Change Even If You Don't Want It To. Because in that post, you can actually download the PowerPoint that I used for this sermon and tweak it and share it in your local context as well. And I also, with that, want to say that if you actually have an opportunity to listen to this sermon, not on the podcast, but to actually watch it, at that very same link, I'm embedding the actual sermon YouTube video so you can actually watch it um, and see the PowerPoint and the, the pictures and the images and icons that I use to explain the concepts. So um, anyways, I'm not going to say anything more. I'm just going to transition now uh, to the sermon and I will catch you on the other side. How does our mission look in a scenario where pandemics are at flow. And this is the missional angle. Now, this is the angle that I want to touch on today because I feel like this is the most practical angle um, for us, you know, sort of collectively as a community of faith. Like, how does the prophetic vision of end time catastrophes like COVID-19, how does that interplay with our call to be the salt of the earth, right? To to reach out, to to tell the world about Jesus, to proclaim the gospel to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. And so I want to talk about that today because what we're dealing with here now is we're talking about church, we're talking about discipleship, we're talking about evangelism and how we can continue to do our job, right? The, the work that God has called us to do even in the midst of things like COVID-19. Uh, and I think you are probably going to be 
blown away by, uh, <laughs> not by what I have to say, but by what scripture sort of unveils for us. Um, so this brings up questions, you know, we're talking about the pandemic and the mission of the church. It brings up questions like, what does building the kingdom of God look like in the middle of a pandemic? Um, how does discipleship, evangelism, and outreach even work in the middle of a pandemic? You know, bottom line, most of our churches are currently not doing discipleship, evangelism, or outreach. And you, you, you can't be upset about it. It's almost like, how do you, right? Like, uh, what, what does it even look like? Um, and this final question that I want to interact with is actually... Is it possible that we've been doing church all wrong? Is it possible that the reason why so many of our churches have had to go into hibernation mode or survival mode, just kind of keep our nose above water during the season, is it possible that that is because to a large degree, we haven't really even been doing church the biblical way to begin with. And when catastrophe rises, we find that the way that we're doing doesn't it doesn't transfer, it doesn't work. And maybe the biblical way, right? Maybe the way that God intends for us to do church is something that transcends things like pandemics and wars, etc. I don't know. Let's talk about it, right? Let's figure it out. So I'm going to be dealing with this question of, you know, what role does COVID-19 play in Bible prophecy, but dealing with it from the missional angle to see what what are you and I meant to do, right? What are you and I meant to do with all of this? So I want to say a word of prayer, and then I want to dive in and begin this uh, exciting exploration. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for your love and your goodness. And as we take some time this morning to look at scripture, to look at the world around us right now, to look at uh, some of the insights that we have also from Ellen White, um, as it relates to the church, its mission, the world, pandemics, etc. Um, yeah, look, I just pray for your Holy Spirit to be with us, Lord, wherever we are in our separate homes and our separate groups. May your spirit speak to our hearts in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. All right. So. I want you to use your imagination with me here because I'm going to build the uh, <laughs> the central premise of this entire talk by tapping into your imagination. You see the circle on the screen and on that circle there is a little building, kind of looks like a government building because it's the closest thing I could find to uh, a building in my icon library that kind of could be a church. So just pretend it's a church, all right? Let's pretend that this church, this little building here is a church. And um, it, this circle represents our church life, okay? So there's the church. So if you go to Vic Park, that's Vic Park Church. If you go to Joondalup, that's Joondalup Church or wherever you go, that's your church right there, all right? Now, I want you to use your imagination here. Um, at most of our churches, most likely at your church, the central thing, the thing around which everything revolves is the main program, right? And this is what we do on Sabbath mornings at 11 a.m. when the preacher gets up to preach and the singers get up to sing. And, you know, we do our tithes and our offerings and our children's stories. And of course, you know, the Sabbath school is a part of that as well in the mornings. And so this is the central thing that many of us think when we think of church. If someone says, hey, are you going to church? Usually what they're talking about is the main program. Um, when you mention the word church, usually the thing that pops up in our heads is the main program. And when you measure whether a church is a good church or not, you're generally thinking about the main program. 
So the main program is really the thing around which everything in church revolves. And uh, it's, you've got your, your program itself, the activities that you do in the program. And then you have the traditions or the culture that forms a part of that program. So it, you might have a traditional church, you might have a contemporary church. There's a style, right? There's, there's a particular way in which you, per, you um, engage this program. I was going to say perform, but I prefer the word engage because I think it's a little bit more fair to what we're doing. Um, and so you've got your program, you've got your traditions, they kind of, you know, play into each other in this big program. And you basically repeat this week after week after week. You walk in through the door, someone hands you a bulletin, you go in, you sit down, there's some songs, there's a kid's story, there's some announcements, there's a sermon, you sing another song, you go home, right? And so you just repeat this week after week. And generally speaking, when we're talking about church, this is what we're talking about. And so if you do your program well, you may have a group of people who attend your church and if your program is effective and attractive and um and and meaningful for people then over time you know the church will grow and this is essentially what church looks like in the modern age this is essentially what your church most likely looks like and um perhaps even many churches that you've been to very few churches do anything different to this this is the status quo all right now you're using your imagination. Here's your church. Here's your program. You've got it going. Is world, you know, you got all your best talent and 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 your you know energetic young people and your talented people. Everyone's pouring lots of energy and love into this program. And then, um, oh wait, actually, before I move on, let me. This is what we call a program-centric model of church. All right, so. I think that's probably important to point out before I move on to the next part of our imaginative story. Um, this is a program-centric model, right? So you've got, you've got your central program, everything goes into it, program-centric model. Okay, so you're using your imagination. You're in church, you're doing this thing, and it's been going really well And you know, one week, two years, five years, 10 years, and it's been going awesome. And then all of a sudden, a pandemic shows up, like COVID-19, and your entire production gets canceled which is basically what's happened right church gets closed program gets canceled traditions take a take a nap and the repetition um kind of stops as well because it's not happening right so this is basically what happens you know something like a pandemic like covid19 hits the world and boom canceled program is done and so what ends up happening on a practical level is that once our main program, the thing that around which everything revolves, the thing around the thing that we pour all of our energy into, once that's canceled, there's a moment of time in which we're like, what in the world are we supposed to do, right? And during that time, what ends up happening is the people who form a part of this big program, you know, people who attend this big program, what you find when the dust has settled is that many of them have scattered. So you still have a nucleus that is connecting through digital means. Uh, but you also have people who are kind of half there and kind of not. And then you have people who just completely disappeared. Uh, and most of us didn't even really know who those people were anyway. They kind of came and went and we weren't really connected with them and they weren't connected with us. And um, we have no idea where they are now. So this is generally speaking what has happened in the COVID-19 season with a lot of our churches. Now I want you to keep use, using your imagination here because the COVID-19 season ends. And when the COVID-19 season ends, 
you take all your digital means, which is essentially what we've done during COVID-19. We've moved from the, the sort of church program and we've sort of put it online. And it hasn't helped much. The The situation is still a bit scattered and a little bit all over the place. And we're doing our best with it, right? We're trying to survive and we're trying to replicate what we had on Sabbath mornings. And it's it's good and it's okay, but it's the challenges that are we have are still there. You know, people have scattered, people have disconnected, some people aren't plugging in, all, all kinds of stuff, right? And so finally, the COVID-19 season ends and oh man, are you happy? And you know why you're happy? You're super happy because we get to all go back to the program. Isn't that wonderful? So I, I, some of us are really looking forward to that. Oh man, we can't wait until we get back to the Sabbath morning and you know the preaching and the, and the traditions and we just hit repeat and we, we go back to doing it that way again. And everybody's together. We're having a great time. Isn't it wonderful? Um, and that's what many of us are, are really looking forward to. And by the way, um, I hope that in no way, shape or form, does anyone feel bad about that? I think we should look forward to that because it's something that we love, right? It's something that we enjoy. So, but keep using your imagination here because we go back to church and we go back to our program and our traditions and we hit the repeat button and we're doing this week after week after week. And, and you know, the crowds are back and we're hanging out with people and having a good time. And then it happens again. And when it hits again, now the church once again is scrambling. It has to scramble. Okay, what are we going to do now? There's another pandemic. What are we going to do? Okay, I start some Zoom groups again. Uh, how did we do it last time? Oh, yeah, Sabbath schools. Oh, yeah, you know, uh, people over there. Call those people. You call those people. And, 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 and this is this period of scatter and, 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 and craziness where you're trying to figure out how do you keep the church together? And it's just a nightmare. And by the time the dust settles, you realize... You've kept some of the church together, but for the most part, you've basically repeated what happened the last time. Well, no need to worry because as you continue to use your imagination, um, you realize that this too shall end. And when this next pandemic ends, you simply go back. Hey, it's awesome. Back at church, you know, you got your sermon, you got your traditions, you're hitting the repeat button, the crowds are coming back. and. Um, it's wonderful and everyone's having an absolute blast and then it happens again. And once again, the church is scattered and shuffling to adjust and adapt to the changes that have been unexpectedly thrust upon it. Now here's the thing. In this scenario, the church will never accomplish its mission. Never. Because in this scenario, it's kind of like if you, I don't know if you've ever been in a car with a kid who's learning how to drive a stick shift. You know, it's like, ram, ram. <laughs> and, and they can't quite get into gear and they, they sort of jolt forward and then the car dies and they crank it up again and jolt forward and then the car dies. This is basically what we're looking at in a scenario like this where a church is getting back into its program and then boom has to cancel and then get him back into his program then boom it has to stop again with this sort of model the church will never accomplish its mission in fact if we have any intention of accomplishing this mission here's the point that i want to make today in light of prophecy which we're about to talk about a little bit more and in light of just common sense the church must change it must change now 
Those are fighting words sometimes, aren't they? <laughs> Some people hear the church must change, and it's like, whoa, what did you say? Stick them up, you know? It's okay. Let's talk about it. Let's 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 unpack this a little bit and see what what was actually being said here. The World Economic Forum makes a very interesting statement. Uh, in fact, a series of them. I'm going to read them now. And here's here's one of them. Epidemics will become more common with our increasingly connected age. See, it's possible that you might look back to the imaginative scenario that I had you uh, go through with those slides and those icons and think, yeah, that makes sense, but is that really going to happen? Well, according to the science of the day, there's a very high likelihood that COVID-19 is just the beginning of a whole lot more. And so World Economic Forum, epidemics will become more common with our increasingly connected age. Again, they say the frequency and diversity of disease outbreaks are expected to grow steadily, right? And this is, you know, in a world where there's more globalization and people are interconnected and, you know, there's, this is not so much, a, it's like a global village. It's, it's not as sort of spread out as it used to be. Technology has brought people together, you know, airplanes and boats are way faster than they used to be. And there's all this travel. And, and one of the studies that the World Economic Forum did with the Harvard School of Medicine, one of the things that they found was that if there's an outbreak, it would only take about 38 hours before it hit some of the major cities in the world because we're so interconnected, right? And so again, they're, they're predicting in a sense, using the science and the statistics and the trends to say, look, actually this um, whole pandemic thing looks like it's going to become the new normal. Here's another statement from the World Economic Forum. Recent global trends suggest the world is entering a period of increased outbreak activity. Now, why is this important to know? It's important to know because, uh, you know, a lot of us are thinking, oh man, I can't wait to go back to normal. Well, what, hey, you know, uh, what exactly is normal now? What does it look like? Will we ever really go back to pre-COVID-19 life? I don't know. Anyways, I'm going to keep going. So, in Matthew 24, 7, again, quoting from Jesus, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines pestilences and earthquakes in various places and notice pestilences i've underlined it since that's the topic of our day um it's in plural right it's not a singular there will be a pestilence it's plural there's going to be many of them and so the likelihood that we are entering into an age in human history where pandemics are a common thing definitely seems to be there not only in science but also in scripture now what does ellen white have to say Otherwise, surprisingly, they didn't say too much about pandemics, um, didn't go into any detail, at least nothing that I could find. But she did repeat the biblical counsel, right? Uh, what scripture says, and she repeated this in her lifetime. And so, for example, there was a, a scenario where there was a, a flu pandemic that went through and, and she was actually, um, she, was, she got sick during that period of time. Um, and she was commenting on this flu pandemic that was floating around and she said this, this is only the beginning of what shall be. Again, the same exact thing that Jesus is saying, right? It's, it's just the start. Like, it's going to increase in frequency. It's going to get worse. Um, at a separate time, she was uh, seeing a vision related to the Civil War, and she saw the, the war and the violence and the pandemic that would spread, you know, disease that would spread because of the war. And um, after she saw this vision, she says that she saw a period of quiet, right? A period of calm. But after that period of calm, she said there was chaos, right? So there was the civil war and there was this period of calm and then chaos and there was war again and there was violence again. And here's one of the things she mentions resurges after this period of calm. Pestilence, she says, raged everywhere. And this is Testimonies for the Church, Volume 1, page 268. If you want to read the whole thing in context, it's all there. 
And so what we see in Ellen White's testimony is essentially what we see in scripture that toward the end of time, there is going to be an increase in the frequency of pandemics. They're going to rage everywhere. And what we've seen is only the beginning of what will be. Now, am I saying this to freak you guys out and scare you? No, you guys know that is not my style. I actually don't have a lot of tolerance for that type of preaching. But I think it's important to identify what it is we're actually dealing with, right? It does us no good to, to pretend that these things are not happening. It's good to identify what we're actually dealing with because then it can inform how we respond, how we meet the challenges that are coming. And I don't think it's much of a surprise to any of us. For example, um, recent reports from the World Food Program have noted this. 265 million people could be pushed into acute food insecurity by COVID-19, almost doubling last year's total. So according to the World Food Program, what they're basically suggesting is that COVID-19 can actually lead to a famine. Now, here's the interesting thing about that. Um, about this sort of famine that they're saying, hey, there's a danger here. We're headed toward this catastrophic famine. Um, the World Health Organization states that severe food shortages are often associated with factors which increase the risk of communicable diseases. In other words, a pandemic like COVID-19 can cause a food shortage, which in turn can cause more pandemics. So this is important to note, for example, because some of you might be reading in your Bibles and you might see Matthew 24, 7, and it doesn't say pandemics, right? It doesn't, it doesn't say pestilence. Some versions of the Bible, Jesus says there will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes, and other versions just say famines and earthquakes. They don't say pestilences at all. And when you go into the New Testament Greek, some manuscripts have the word pandemic and, uh, or, or pestilence, and others don't have that word. But it really doesn't matter either way because famines and pandemics and wars are all interconnected. And so whether your text says, you know, plagues or, you know, pestilences or not, it definitely says famines, right? And, and famines and pestilences are interconnected. And so this is the tragedy that we are potentially facing in, in this scenario is that COVID-19 can actually cause a famine, which can in turn cause more pandemics. And so Again, why is this important? Why, why am I mentioning this? Am I trying to scare my church members and, and have you running for the hills with, um, you know, Prozac or whatever that anxiety medication is called? No, not at all. And I want you to remember, man, like these things are not surprised. I think we all know it. You know, we all know the world's going to get increasingly worse and worse before Jesus returns. But there is a beauty in that. It's, it's the signs that Jesus coming is near. And as we focus on our, you know, what, what, what the, you know, the old saying on our blessed hope, right? Like there's something enthusiastic and joyful in that, that we can root our hope and our trust and our foundation in. We don't need to be afraid and freaking out and scared and stocking up and going on YouTube to find every conspiracy theory video we can in order to inform ourselves on what's really going on. We don't need any of that. We've got Christ. He's with us, right? What did David say? From where does my help come from? I look to the hills. Where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord. We have nothing to be afraid of. So there's only one reason why I'm mentioning this, and it's not to be sensational or theatrical. I'm mentioning it because a lot of us, I've noticed, and myself, I'm in this category as well, we keep talking about the present pandemic as though we are headed toward a post-pandemic. And so the conversation goes something like this. I can't wait till this is over so I can go back to normal. 
I can't wait till this is over so I can do X and Y and Z. And and I'm I say the same things, right? That's not a critique. <laughs> like I'm in that boat as well. But as I look at the world around me, as I look at science, as I look at prophecy, I have to seriously ask, are we headed for a post-pandemic world or are we headed for a poly-pandemic world? And the difference is that a post-pandemic world assumes that COVID-19 ends and everything goes back to normal and that's the end of it. But if we're headed toward a poly-pandemic world, it could very well be that COVID-19 ends and there's another one that follows in its wake. Now, how soon? I don't know. One year, three years, five years? I have no idea. Honestly, it's none of my concern. But the reality is that we are definitely looking at the possibility that our world is going to be increasingly hit by more and more of these types of things. And so chances are we're not headed back to normal. Chances are we're not headed for a post-pandemic society, but rather heading into a poly-pandemic age. Now, in case you don't know what the word poly means, it just means many, right? So you think of polytheism, many gods, um, poly pandemic, many pandemics. And that's potentially, as we look at the science, as we look at prophecy, where we are headed. And so here's the reason why I want to mention this. Again, this isn't about fear. The reason why I want to mention this is because if we are headed toward a poly pandemic age of the human story, then how good is our program-centric model of church going to function in that age? Right? If, if our church revolves around a central program with lots of people and lots of energy and lots of hoo-ha, and these pandemics are constantly popping up and canceling our programs and closing our buildings, how effective is our mission really going to be in the coming age? See, I think we totally need to change this model. In fact, I think this model should never have existed to begin with, but this present pandemic is definitely making us rethink and readjust. And it's forcing us, even those of us who love the way things are, it's forcing us to sit back and think, man, maybe we really do need to change things. Now, here's the problem with the program-centric model of church which is the model that we're often used to. Number one, it doesn't translate to a scenario like a pandemic. You can't replicate the program online. It doesn't matter how hard you try. You can try really hard. It's not the same. Um, and secondly, or, or thirdly rather, it, there's too much competition. So for example, if you've put together a program uh, online, there's always someone else who does it better that I can just jump on their website and watch their program, right? For example, myself, I've put together this sermon for you guys to watch on Sabbath morning. But guess what? There's a hundred way better preachers than me out there who you could turn to right now on YouTube and just watch them instead. And so this is the problem with the program-centric model. Not only does it not translate, it can't be replicated in a scenario like the one we're living in, but it's too much competition you're constantly having to compete with the other church and the other live stream and, and, and the other YouTube channel. And it just becomes impossible. This is why the church in this scenario tends to scatter because some people are like, oh, I'm going to watch this on Sabbath morning. I'm going to watch that. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? Everyone's free to watch what they want. But it shows you how difficult it is in a program-centric model to keep your church together. Um, also, it's doubly impersonal. Now, one of the things I've tried in order to restore a bit of personalness to this um, 
experience is the, the Q and A. Um, but the challenge with that, obviously, is that it's still not ideal. I'm still not physically there. If you said something in return, um, I can't really interact with it. Um, people scatter. Again, we've talked about that already. And here's where it really hurts. Discipleship stops, right? And this is what's happened with many of our program-centric churches is we're trying so hard just to keep the most basic flow going that no one's talking about discipleship. No one's really talking about evangelism. We might be doing a little bit here and there, but it's kind of limping along. Um, and outreach is inconsistent at best. And so in this scenario, this program-centric scenario, basically what happens is our churches essentially go into hibernation during a pandemic. They, they, there's a scramble syndrome where the moment it hits and our churches get closed, it's like, oh, what do we do? And does this person know how to go on Zoom? And does that person? And you know, what do we do with this? And what do we do with that? And how do we recreate this? And how do we get these groups together here? And hey, you call these people, you call those people. And then five weeks later, you find out, I've been calling, but people aren't answering. And, and I've been trying, but people aren't turning up. And you know, no one wants to teach the Sabbath school lesson on Zoom. And you know, all these things, there's this scramble thing where everyone's just going nuts, trying to figure out how do we keep the most basic element of church alive during this scenario and we're so busy doing that forget discipleship forget evangelism forget outreach and so connections are lost in a program-centric model now this is why i believe that our churches actually need permanent change and i think this is what the prophetic witness is calling us to it's calling us to permanent change structural and cultural structural being the way our churches are structured for ministry and cultural being the way we think about church and christianity altogether they need to undergo a permanent biblical change right so i'm definitely not promoting any unbiblical change but permanent biblical change now what does that look like right what does a permanent biblical change look like I don't have all the answers because I'm trying to figure this out. I'm scrambling just as much as everybody else is. This thing caught me completely unawares just as much as everyone else. And I'm sitting here trying to figure out how do we build the kingdom of God now, right? Do we just sit back and wait till it ends and then just go back to what we were doing? Because if we do that and another pandemic comes, we're back to square one. So maybe there's a better way. So I'm thinking about it too, but here are some ideas, some thoughts that um, have been floating through my head that I think could be helpful. So permanent change, structural and cultural. Number one, decentralizing spiritual growth. And what I mean by this is instead of everything revolving around the church service, restructuring our churches so that everything revolves around home groups. Now, when you talk about home groups in the Adventist church, you run into lots of problems because lots of churches have tried them and they failed. They last for like three months and then it's over. They stop meeting and they just fizzle out. And the reason why that happens is because many of our churches treat the home group as an extra activity on top of everything else the church is already doing. It doesn't work that way. If the home groups are going to work, you literally need to restructure the way your entire church functions. Your home groups need to be diverse. Your home groups need to have a start and an end a season, right? They, they, 10 weeks and then they're done and, and they need to be diverse. Some of them need to be, you know, upreach groups where you're doing Bible studies and getting to know God. Others need to be practical groups where you're teaching and exploring and learning how to live a practical Christian life, like parents or single people or married couples, right? Or addicts. Um, and then other groups need to be outreach groups that are specifically designed to do 
acts of service and mercy in the community. And throughout the year, as these groups are functioning in seasons, people can move from one to the other and they undergo a discipleship pathway that is intentionally built into the structure. So decentralizing our church service uh, and, and nurturing a home group ministry isn't about a few people putting up their hands and saying, hey, I want to run a group in my house. Come whoever wants. No, this is a very intentional and profound structural change of the way your church works. And if you want to go down this route as a church, you have to understand it means massive change, right? It's not just an extra program. It's the decentralization of the church program. That doesn't mean you don't have a church program anymore, but things no longer revolve around that one thing. Now all of the energy gets redirected toward nurturing and strengthening and equipping and resourcing home groups in which your discipleship strategy fully unravels and blossoms. Secondly, we'd have to get a much better at doing digital ministry. I mean, when this whole thing started, most of us had no idea what to do. We had people in our church who don't even know how to hop on Zoom, right? And 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 we we don't have the knowledge or the skill to jump online and, you know, run our Facebook pages effectively. Most of our Facebook pages are just like, you know, advertisements, program A, program B. There's no engagement with the community through our Facebook page. Some of our churches have websites that look like they were designed in 1998. You know, they're terrible. They're outdated. They're ugly. They're difficult to, to explore. They're not attractive. Um, and, 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 you know, even, even some of us, when we try and film videos, it, it looks like it was, you know, some ISIS person filmed it in a cave somewhere. The quality is terrible. And, and, you know, our digital ministry is severely lacking. And so this would be another area where I think our churches would have to pull back in things they're doing elsewhere and pour into creating effective and meaningful digital ministry. Um, the other thing I've thought about is, again, and this is kind of a repetition, is simplifying, right? Simplifying our main program. It's not about getting rid of it, but it's about saying, what is the purpose of this program? How can we simplify it so that we can reinvest that energy into things that actually build the kingdom of God? For example, I don't know how many times I've spoken to people at church, talented people, filled with the Holy Spirit, passionate about the kingdom of God, whose nominating committee job it is to make a bulletin. And they chase people all week for information to put a, together a bulletin that just ends up on the floor when church is over. What, how about we just got rid of the bulletin and allowed those people to reinvest their energy into something that actually builds the kingdom of God? And you think, oh, you can't get rid of the bulletin. Well, what was the last time you saw one? We're not using them now, you know? It's, it's like these things that we cling to so desperately because we're so used to them. Do they really work at building the kingdom of God? Can we put some of these things aside so that we can redirect energy in the prophetic age in which we're living to really do what God has called us to do? And finally, training, right? Really focusing on training, equipping the saints, equipping the members of the church to build the kingdom of God in their homes, with their friends, in their jobs, right? To, to, to be agents of the gospel wherever they are instead of depending on a program or big evangelistic series with famous speaker and lots of advertising or any of those things that cannot function in a pandemic world. So again, look, 
I don't have all the answers. I'm trying to figure it out as well. But I really do believe that we need a permanent structural and cultural change in our churches. We need to move from program-driven churches to people-centric churches. Churches where people are the thing that keeps it moving. Churches where instead of people showing up on Sabbath to watch the pastor and a few singers use their spiritual gifts while they sit back passively observing, everyone is empowered and equipped to build the kingdom of God through their homes. So again, as we look at the pandemic age that we're living in and we think about the church, what would this look like, right? What would a model like this look like? Well, you still have your church, and you still have your church service, but now your church and its program is completely oriented and and it's aimed toward nurturing, empowering, and resourcing home group ministry. Everything revolves around that. The home groups are not just an extra program. They are the program. The home groups are not just an extra activity. They are the activity. They are the backbone of the church. If the home groups fail, the church closes. That's what. That's how serious it is. And through these home groups, again, we're not talking about people just putting up their hands and replicating in their living room what we do at church on Sabbath morning, setting up chairs in a row. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a diversity of groups. Some of these groups are going through Daniel Revelation. Some of these groups are going through Seekers, you know, Seekers Bible Studies. Some of these groups are practical Christian living, you know, conquering, um, over, overcoming uh, nicotine or, 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 you know, even cooking groups, you know, learning how to cook healthy meals. Um, some of the groups are outreach groups that are going into the community and connecting with the homeless or connecting with single mothers or, um, you know, working with ministries that, that help um, battered women or people who are going through abusive situations in their home, like all of these different groups. And so when a person joins your church, they can go to the seekers group for, for 10 weeks and then another one for another 10 weeks and, and learn the gospel, right? Learn the beliefs of the church. And then they can move to a practical group and learn how to live their faith practically in the world they occupy. And then they can go to an outreach group and actually use their gifts and their talent to, to serve someone. And then maybe after that, they can start their own group. And so this scenario just repeats itself year after year and people are growing spiritually because they're involved intimately in small groups in homes that are dedicated for their spiritual growth. Now, what happens in this scenario if a pandemic hits? Well, yeah, the church has to close and, and its central programs have to be canceled, but everything else keeps going, right? The small groups don't have to shut down. And even if they have to move digitally, it's a lot easier to move a small group from, you know, from a physical space to a digital space than it is to move a 120 people giant program onto a digital platform. And it's a lot easier because the groups are so small and intimate that people know exactly who's who in the zoo. And they're able to reconnect with them and serve them and minister them and continue their discipleship journey and their spiritual growth, even if it has to go toward a digital platform because of things like social distancing, for example. So in a scenario like this, again, what we're talking about is you have spiritual continuity, even in the midst of a pandemic. You have little to no scatter because everyone knows who's there, right? It's, it's, things don't revolve around a big program where people sneak in and sneak out, but there's these groups that people are constantly being filtered into and, and, and connecting with people who actually care and love for them. Um, everyone remains connected. The church doesn't have to hibernate, 
right? Discipleship can continue. Evangelism can continue because it's happening in the groups. Um, outreach can continue. There's no competition, right? Because while there might be a hundred preachers way better than Pastor Marcus, when if, if you have to move onto a digital space and you're connected to a small group, no one can compete with your small group. You love those people. They love you. There's no YouTube channel that can compete with that. Um, and so there's a smooth digital transition. Even if there has to be one, it's very smooth. And mission doesn't stop. So what am I bringing this up for? Because if we are headed into what, what prophecy alludes to and what science is currently alluding to, we're headed into this sort of polypandemic age of human history, a program-centric model is simply not going to be effective at building the kingdom of God in that age. And so we have a decision to make as a church, right? And I haven't talked about this with very many people. We haven't made any plans as a board or as leaders. This is, I'm presenting this fresh to just about everyone. We have a decision to make as local churches. Do we want to stick to a program-centric model? Do we want to ride COVID-19 out and then just go back to the identical model we had before? Or do we want to start making a move toward a people-centric model where we are actually nurturing home group ministry and nurturing people's capacity to build the kingdom of God through these small groups. Again, I'm not saying we cancel the central meeting at the church, but we simplify it and repurpose it to nurture these home groups where God's kingdom is being built all year round, not just for two hours on Sabbath morning. And so we have a decision to make, right? I'm, I'm the pastor, but I'm not a dictator. The church has to decide. Do you want a program-centric model or do you want to transition towards something that will give you greater evangelistic success, not only after the pandemic, but it can continue in the event that another pandemic does indeed arise. And so again, with a program-centric model in the midst of pandemics, everything gets canceled and you have a scatter that ensues after that. Whereas in a people-centric model, the church might still have to cancel and close, but the home group discipleship just continues to cycle. It doesn't end. Here's the thing. And I guess it's one of the main things I want you to gather today as we look at the prophetic landscape in which we're currently living. COVID-19 is not an interruption. And a lot of us are treating it like it's an interruption. It's kind of like when you're watching your favorite TV show and a breaking news comes on and it says, you know, we interrupt your regularly scheduled program <laughs> to bring you this breaking news. And it's really annoying, but at the same time, you know in the back of your head, hurry up and finish so I can get back to watching my show. You know that in eight, 10 minutes, when this breaking news segment's done, you can go back to watching your TV show. And a lot of us are treating COVID-19 like that. It's like COVID-19, hurry up and end so we can get back to our regularly scheduled church program. Well, what if COVID-19 is not an interruption? What if COVID-19 is part of the new normal that we're going to be experiencing in the coming decade? What if COVID-19 is a disruption, as Carrie Newhoff says, not an interruption? An interruption is something you can write out. An interruption is something you can ignore. A disruption is something that forces you to stop, reassess, redesign, and really dig deep and think, how are we going to move forward now? COVID-19 is not an interruption. And I believe that the reason why is because COVID-19 is really an introduction to the polypandemic age 
that science and prophecy are very strongly alluding to. Now, like I said, I'm not trying to be sensational and theatrical here. I'm not going to sit here and say, there's going to be another pandemic in one year or two years. Seriously, I have no idea. It could be a long time before another one happens. But I think the thing most people are agreeing on is that it's definitely going to be happening with way more frequency. And so if our churches are designed to function in a world without pandemics, but they now inhabit a world with many pandemics, our churches are never going to fulfill the mission that God has called them to. Now, I want to read this quote as I get close to finishing. This is from Testimonies for the Church. I love this quote by Ellen White. The work which the church has failed to do in a time of peace and prosperity, she will have to do in a terrible crisis under the most discouraging, forbidding circumstances. Now, what Ellen is saying here is like, look, we have a window of opportunity where we can do the work that God has called us to do in peace and prosperity. And because we failed to do it there, now we have to do it in a time where the, the winds are not in our favor, where things are hard, right? And, and so really what this statement calls me to is it inspires me and it challenges me to think, okay, when COVID-19 does end, what are we going to do with the peace and prosperity that follows? You know, what, what are we going to do with that time? Are we just going to go back to our previous patterns and just repeat it? And, and, you know, not build the kingdom of God and, and focus on programs and focus on ourselves? Or are we going to take advantage of that period of time to build God's kingdom as best as possible by redesigning our churches? And then if another pandemic hits, we just keep building like we were before. And so those are the options that we have. We can sit back comfortably and not build the kingdom and then get hit with a catastrophe and think, oh, how are we going to build the kingdom now? Oh boy, it's actually really, really hard. Or we can build the kingdom of God and when catastrophe hits, we can say, you know what? It is really hard, but let's keep doing what we've always been doing. Now, my friend and pastor Max Suradeth, he's a pastor here in Perth. Uh, he said something really profound at one of our recent meetings. It was a bit funny, it made me laugh, but it's also really, really profound. He said this, this pandemic caught us, talking about the church, it caught us with our pants down. We were completely unprepared to address it. And I have to agree, and Max, if you're watching this, thank you for those profound words, man. Uh, nothing like pants down imagery to bring some uh, um, much needed metaphor to this whole conversation. But he's so right. Like when this thing hit us, we were like, wow, what do we do now? And I really don't want our churches to have to go through this again. We don't have to, right? We can learn from this. We can, we can say, hey, look, yeah, it caught us. It caught us by surprise one time, but it's not catching us by surprise again. We're going to restructure our churches. We're going to redesign our culture so that not only are we effective at mission when times are good, but we can continue to be effective at mission when times are bad. And this really brings me to Jesus' words in the book of John, chapter 9, verse 4. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming where no man can work. Now, Jesus, there's a context in a story, you know, he's relating to his particular experience here. But these words have definitely application to our day. There is a night coming, guys. There is a night coming where the work that God has called us to do is going to be near impossible to do. So while it's still day, let's take advantage, right? Let's 
let go of the things that are hindering us, even if we love them, even if they're traditions that have been there for a long time. Let's just let them go so that we can be moved by the Spirit of God to build His kingdom in ways that are going to radically impact the lives of the people around us. And as we do that, as we do that in the daylight, when the nighttime comes, we will know we've done what God has called us to do. But how tragic would it be if the night arrives and we realize that we squandered the day? That would be horrible. Now, some of you are probably thinking, all right, this is cool, Pastor Marcus. We need to redesign our churches and we need to, you know, um, redesign our cultures. And, and we're excited. We're gung-ho. We're ready to do this. But obviously, it's not going to happen right right now because we're still not in the position to, to do a lot of that. So what can we do in the meantime? Well, there's actually three quick little things that I thought I would share with you, uh, little things that I'm involved in right now that are enabling me to have a meaningful impact in people's lives that uh, I think would be really meaningful for you as well. Maybe you're doing these already, maybe not. But number one, um, write nursing homes, prisoners, etc. Right? Like, honestly, there's people in your church who've got family members in prison that nobody contacts. Find out who those people are. Ask if you can send a letter to their loved one, right? Or nursing homes, right? There's lots of people in nursing homes who've got nobody to talk to. And if you Google it and search, you know, sending letters to nursing homes, there's actually nursing homes that have processes in place where you can actually send letters to some of the um, uh, people who are there who are lonely, right? There's little things you can do. You can do it with your kids, right? Little things that you can do to make life meaningful for someone who is hurting. So prison ministries, you can contact prison ministries, Google them, aged care facilities, or just talk to friends and family. Chances are you'll find someone who's got a family member in a nursing home or a prison or something who could really use some encouragement. And all it takes is a little bit of time during your day to write a letter and post it. Um, another thing you can do, if you are capable of doing this, launch digital felt need ministries. And you don't wait for the pastor to do this, right? I, pastor doesn't have the capacity to, to do everything. But if you have it on your heart to do something meaningful for people, here's something that I've seen quite a lot of people doing. Now, I'm running an addiction recovery support group on Wednesday nights, um, which is one of the reasons why I can't, uh, you, you can't wait on me to launch another one because I'm already doing one. <laughs> but um, other, other churches are doing mental health support groups where they get their friends, right? It, it doesn't take a lot, you know, it's just contacting people that you know who are struggling through this season and saying, hey, let's get together on Zoom and support each other, you know, our mental health. And you can read a positive book and you can talk about it. And it doesn't have to be religious, but something positive and uplifting that, that can lead to conversations about Jesus. And you can contact and interact with people who don't know Christ that way. Uh, book clubs as well. Um, and finally, I really want you to think about what I've shared today. Talk to your family about home gatherings, right? When this whole pandemic thing begins to fade away and we have the opportunity to go back to our previous patterns, there is going to be a window of opportunity in which the conversation on what we want to do is going to be the most important. And that window of opportunity, in that window of opportunity, we need to decide, right? I'm not going to force anyone. I don't have the energy for that. But we need to decide as local churches, do we want to go back to a program-centric model that will not be able to effectively engage the prophetic season into which we are headed? Or do we want to redesign our churches for a people-centric model that will be effective in the prophetic season to which we are headed?
And that's a conversation that you need to have with your friends, with your family, with your church members. Sit down, talk to you, the people in your home. Would we be willing to have home gatherings here when the time is right? Will we be open to running small groups and being involved in that and experiencing church in a much different way than what we're used to? Would we be open to that? Have those conversations, guys. Is God calling you to open your home for small group discipleship strategy? Um, have those conversations because they are going to be very central moving forward. So the question, what is the role of COVID-19 <clears throat> in prophecy? Again, just to summarize it, COVID-19 itself is not specifically identified in prophecy, but it does belong to a prophetic narrative of end time catastrophe. There is a sense in which the frequency of cataclysms and diseases and all of these things will increase during the end times. Now we have an option of what we're going to do with that knowledge. We can be afraid. We can hide, right? We can we can we can freak out. Or we can say, "You know what? Good or bad, I'm going to trust in God and I'm just going to focus on doing what he's called me to do." And my invitation to you is, look, the prophetic narrative certainly does paint a night is coming. Times are going to be tough. How soon will that begin? I don't know. But the point is this, God has called you to build his kingdom. This world's not going to last forever. And thank God it's not. It's a painful world. Even though it has beauty, it also has injustice, right? Even though it has moments of euphoria, it also has seasons of depression and anger and anxiety and loss. This world is not our home. We shouldn't be comfortable here. We shouldn't be settling for what this world and its empires have to offer. Instead, our entire lives should be oriented toward the proclamation of a coming kingdom, of a new world, God's kingdom, the new Jerusalem. And we need to sit down and think, how can I most effectively communicate that beautiful hope to this world? Not only when things are good, but also when things are bad. And if that means completely restructuring and redesigning our churches and getting rid of things that we might like and adding in things that we might be uncomfortable with, then so be it. But let's build the kingdom of God. And for those of you, as you ponder these things and if you think of these things and, and what the future may hold, I want to leave you with this promise of Jesus. It's one of my favorite promises. I had it on my wall back when I was 17 in my, in my home in New Jersey. And I had it up on my wall on a plaque because I just absolutely love this promise. And it's from Luke 21, 28, pardon. Jesus says, when all these things begin to happen, stand up and look up for your salvation is near. Guys, we're almost home. Isn't that awesome? We are so close. And I want to invite you to not just think about how close you are, but think about how close your neighbor is, your friend, those people around you who God has placed in your circle of influence. Can we redesign the church to reach them more effectively? Can we redesign our churches to impact our communities with the Spirit of God? I believe we can. And I hope that this message gives you something to chew on and think about as we look forward to where we are headed next. Take care, guys, and God bless.
I hope that was really uh, helpful and insightful for you guys. And once again, as I said at the beginning of the message, um, or before before I actually transition to the message, if you want to get the PowerPoint for this and you want to share it in your local context, please just head over to the storychurchproject.com slash blog. You can download it for free um, on the blog why your church must change even if you don't want it to. Just click the button and you can download it and then edit that PowerPoint as you um, as you need. Now, I did want to mention two more things before I wrap up today. And that is that obviously this sermon simply introduces what can very easily be a very complex conversation. How do you develop a small group model that is actually effective, that doesn't just fold after the first three months um, of, of activity? Because a lot of our small groups don't really last very long. Um, and how do you simplify the church in an intelligent way so that you have a simple model where people are um, being blessed by simple programs at church, but that their primary spiritual growth is taking place through small group um, activity, small group discipleship pathways. So with that goal in mind, um, I want to recommend two books that are really influencing the way that I approach that in my local context. Uh, the first book is called Activate, An Entirely New Approach to Small Groups. And it's written by three authors, Nelson, Nelson Searcy, Carrie Thomas, and Jennifer Dykes Henson. Um, and if you want to develop a small group model that it's not going to just die after the first few months, you definitely want to read this book. Uh, secondly, I want to encourage you to check out the book Simple Church by Tom Rainer. He co-authors it with someone else, but I can't remember who. Um, that book, th those two books together, if you read through them and you sort of tweak them for your local context and develop, develop a model out of them, um, you definitely won't be disappointed. Okay, guys, I'm going to wrap it up there. Thank you for listening, and I will catch you next week. Until then, I just want to encourage you to continue to redesign Adventism for mission. Take care and God bless. Mm -hmm.